0: You're listening to Marks of a Healthy Church, a Sunday school series taught by the elders and deacons of Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I'm looking forward to our third and final lesson on the subject of missions. We've been talking about the marks of a healthy church, and one of the marks of a healthy church is a desire to see the gospel spread Not just in our community, not just to build disciples within our church, but to spread the gospel to the world. Global missions is part of the Great Commission. And so, if we want to be a healthy church, which I hope we do, we should be very concerned about missions. Now, this is a subject that is not usually broached on a platform like this. Generally, missions is reserved for missions conferences and for missionaries. But I think it's important for us as a church to talk about this subject, to make sure that we're doing missions as well as we can as a church. And I've I've honestly been very excited to already have some great conversations with others about how we can do missions better, and to see other people already taking steps to get to know their missionaries better, and to um, try and find ways to get to other people to know the missionaries better. Mr. Manny, I'm looking at you here. I think he's done an awesome job already, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um but I really am encouraged that we're trying to take what we're hearing and put it into action. Um, So what the study has done for me is it has helped turn my gaze from what is going on here in our church, in our community, and to push my gaze beyond that. And I, I have to be honest, for me what happens quite often is When we're getting ready for a trip, or when I'm planning to go to the Dominican, then I start thinking about getting the gospel to the world. But when we get into the regular routine of things and there's no trip, you know, on the immediate horizon, then it's easy to get wrapped up in what's going on here and think too little of what's going on out there and pray too little about the missionaries that are, that we're supposed to be partnering with. They're fellow laborers in Christ with the gospel there. And yet I don't pray enough or or think enough about them because it's just not on my scope, my my vision at the time. And so what it's done for me is help me help broaden that. and I hope that continues. Uh, We began our study talking about some foundational principles, the purpose, what we're trying to accomplish. And we said that the mission of missions is given by Christ and for his glory that the mission is primarily spiritual in nature. In other words, it's getting the gospel and the truth of Christ to people more than it is just physical. Okay, It, it demands both, but it's primarily spiritual. That it is to be accomplished through the local church. Okay? It's not something that we kind of hand off to a parachurch organization or we, or we expect businesses to do. And it's not even something that we just tell individuals in our church to do. Okay, so it's different than something like politics, right? Where in politics, we might say, you know what? The church isn't going to get really involved in politics. However, we encourage our members, if, if they feel like God would have them run for uh, a, a political position, then go for it and be the best politician you can for the glory of God. This is different. This is not all by yourself become a missionary or all by yourself get involved in missions. This is the whole church needs to be a part of that and running this. So it's primarily through the local church. And finally, we said that the Bible has been given to be our guide. So if we want to know how to do missions well, we go back to the Word of God. The plan we began last week, it was part one. It is how churches are to choose to train and to support good missionaries. We look primarily at 3 John to discover that having a passion for missions is a healthy thing for a Christian. It's expected. If you're a believer in Christ and you love the gospel, you should want the gospel to go out to the world. There must be some cooperation among local churches. There was in the book of Third John, and there there must be, right? In in order to to complete this incredible task, we've got to be willing to work together. However, we cannot cooperate and support everybody. We can't just cooperate with anybody that believes anything. We have to be selective about who we're going to choose to cooperate with. And we can't support everybody. We just don't have the funds to do that. So we have we need to be selective. And that's part of the difficulty when you're talking about a subject like this. We'll, we'll be discussing it more today. But it, sometimes it sounds almost <laughs> like you're being mean by saying, well, we have to ask these questions. We have to make sure they line up with us in, the, in these areas. We have to make sure that this is their focus and this is what they're doing. It's not good enough to say, well, I'm a believer and I'm a really nice person. That, yeah, great. And so what else, right? And we need to be willing to ask some of those hard questions. Uh, therefore, we must develop a plan to assess missionaries and mission endeavors to determine if they ought to be supported. And so we assess missionaries by determining if they have godly, trustworthy character, if they are gifted, if they know the word of God, and if they're faithful and fruitful in a mission, in a work that they're already a part of in their local church. Uh, I remember... When I was younger, Pastor Wood said this to me, it stuck with me. He said, you don't take a man and make him a deacon and then hope that he acts like a deacon. You take a man who is acting like a deacon and give him the title. And and I really think that applies to almost every area of leadership here. Right, It applies to elders and it applies to missionaries. You don't, you don't say, well, this person, they're going to get trained and then they're going to go overseas and hopefully they'll start doing missions work there. No, you take somebody who's doing missions work here. Remember last week we talked about, we should be taking people that are vital to the work of our local church and saying those are the people that are good candidates to be missionaries. If it's really going to hurt the church and leave a hole in the church, they're the ones that need to go. If we're able to select you and like you go and, and the church ministry is unaffected, then you're not going to do anything there either, right? And so those are the people we're looking for. They're faithful and they're fruitful in their mission already. Um, we talked about how we need to be equipping them through local church ministry and then remembering how Paul and Jesus did it, okay? And sometimes we have a tendency to just have a school program for everything, And that's great and can be helpful, but it's not enough. They need to be connected to local church and, and learning under people who are in ministry already. We need to support them. And one of the phrases that he used that I like in the book is he said, you need to be ruthlessly selective. You think about that, ruthlessly selective about who you're going to support because he said, once you choose to support them, you should lavishly support them. Okay, that poor missionaries are not a sign of godly missionaries. They're just a sign of being under-supported by the churches that they're being sent from. And so we need to be selective about who we're sending. And when we, we decide somebody is worthy of sending and worthy of support, let's get behind them. Let's not make this just a token gift. And then we need to, as they go, maintain relationships and accountability with them, uh, And so hopefully today, as we look at the second part of this plan, it'll be more practical how the church and how us as individual believers carry out this plan to choose, equip, support, and maintain accountability with godly, good missionaries. So here is our plan. As we move forward and we say, we're going to equip, we're going to support, we're going to choose. Here's the first part of putting this into action, and that is strategic support. Strategic support. So, if you can imagine walking into two two different churches that are about the same size, and you walk into the foyer of one church and you notice that they have a map on their wall, and on that map they have forty colorful pins scattered throughout the map, and you walk up to the map and you notice that there's little tags and they've got names of people and the places that they're going, and you think, wow. This church supports 40 missionaries, and they're all over the world. And then, a few, seven days later, you go to another church. You walk into the foyer, and you say, look, they've got a map too. But on this map, there's only five or six pins. And you think to yourself, man, these guys are slacking. What's going on? They've got five to six missionaries. How is that possible? Well, can I ask you a question? Which church is doing a better job supporting their missionaries?
1: Five or depends six. what they're giving.
0: Hmm? Five, or six. Five or six? Depends what they're giving? So you all know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> You're smart. There's not enough information. That's that's the correct answer. We have no idea. They could take 40 missionaries and send them 10 bucks a month and say, we're supporting missions work all over here and we don't know any of their names and we just like our pretty map that's colorful. Or, and the other church could be supporting five missionaries that they're deeply invested in, that they pray for, that they know their needs, that they're meeting, them, that they're really involved in that work. And it's, sure, the map doesn't look so colorful, but the people of the church are invested in missionaries. But can I tell you the truth? It's not always the case. Sometimes the people with 40 missionaries, they really do. They really do love their missionaries, right? And so so we can't just make the assumption either way. We need more information. We need strategic support. Um, there are two ways of investing. If you get on the stock market sometime, uh, you know that you can invest by being very diverse, right? Having a very diversified portfolio. Why do people do diversified portfolios? So get hurt, right? For safety. Now, it's likely you're not going to see as many gains, in this portfolio. But when the market dips down, if you you know if the market dips really down in oil but you're only 10% in oil, then you're okay, right? If the market is really hot in Asia but really bad in North America, then you're still okay because you're diversified. The other way of doing it is by Looking at different companies and trying to determine which company is doing really, really well. They they really try to do a good job. You believe in their company. You believe in what they're doing. And then you just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put my money all in that one basket, but believing that one basket is doing a great job. Okay. Now, as we talk about that, there is, there's potential for great gain and there's potential for great loss in that second version. But I think sometimes when we think about our missions, work, we think about it only as investing. So we look at these two things and we see some some churches that have 40 or 50 missionaries and it looks like they're they've got a diversified portfolio. Some of the missionaries probably aren't doing anything, but some of them are probably doing a lot. And so overall as you look at their their total gains, they're gonna be okay. And other missionary other churches think like well we're just gonna send more money to one person because they're doing a great, great job. But when we think about missions, we can't just think about it as some kind of financial investment, okay? And the truth is, that is primarily how it's usually viewed, right? Missionaries come here, why? Because they need money, and they need prayer support, and they need, but but they need money, right? And that's that's the kind of the, the system that we have set up is primarily money-centered. But we need to think of missions not just as investing, at throwing money at someone in hopes of uh, that their mission work will grow and that there'll be a return somehow. But we need to support missionaries as partnering with them, as partnerships, as if we're going to get on board with your ministry, it doesn't just mean writing a check every three months. It means being somewhat involved and invested in the ministry that you're in. Now, granted, This is a difficult thing to talk about. But doesn't that sound better? Now, when we practically lay this out, saying that we're going to be involved and invested in multiple missions all over the world, that's a difficult thing to actually figure out how it works. But it does sound better, doesn't it? Like, it sounds like it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. So, we begin to look at the system. If supporting missionaries, the best way of supporting missionaries is partnership. That's fellowship for the sake of the gospel. Then money is not the only thing we bring to the table. We realize that we actually become fellow laborers with them, right? And the word fellow laborers in Greek is the word that we get our English word for synergy. And so when you think about partnering together with someone for the sake of the gospel, the idea is, is coming together with them to create more power, to go to push the gospel further okay this this kind of synergy where we're working together for the same goal and creating more power um hopefully more results and so the point is missionaries need more than money if they don't they should be someone else's missionaries right if all they need from us is money then then we're probably not the ones that are best to support them so when i look at our ministry at mcbc that's what we're trying to do right how are we doing in this area how do you think we do in the area of being really invested in our missionaries more than just sending money? And I think the results are varied, right? I would say there's at least three or four missionaries that we do this very, very well with. Like that we are really involved in their ministry. When they're struggling, they call us when when they have a need, they know that we're going to help to meet it. We're going to take an offering. We're going to do what we can to meet it. We even spend time maybe with them on the field. Or when they come back, they spend time with us. And not just a token like quick hello, but like a real time spent together. There are three or four missionaries. We do a great job. I think there's probably another handful of missionaries that we do okay job, right? We we know when they have big needs. And when we hear about those big needs, we meet them. and And we're Reading their letters, we know what's we know what's going on. And then I think there's probably three or four or five missionaries that we don't really do a great job with. But can I tell you the good news of this? There used to be 20 missionaries that we didn't know anything about. Almost, right? And so in the last 10, 15 years, our missions program has gone from like almost knowing nothing about most people and giving only token gifts to having less missionaries and knowing more and more about them. We're going in the right direction. I can't tell you how encouraged I was as I read this. Now, dude, this is what I thought. I thought, Pastor Dresser read this book 15 years ago. <laughs> right? It wasn't written 15 years ago. It, it was just written a, a few years ago. But, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, his his uh, pseudonym is Andy Johnson. So, thank you, Andy. <laughs> you got David Platt to write your foreword. And so, I just want to get connected with him, if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> There, I, I really think that, that we've made strides in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But as we look at that then, we've got to say, let's keep going, right? There should be more interaction with more of our missionaries and maybe a few missionaries that we don't really know what's going on. We're just sending them a token gift. Let's, let's do less of that, okay? Now, we're, we're trying to do that, and I think we should keep trying. Sam, did you have a... No, sorry. Oh, you said your hand in the air, so I thought that meant, you know, <laughs> but sometimes it, praise, praise the, the Lord. <laughs> Yep, that's awesome. Um, and so what I'm saying is when we look at the system and we say that the best thing to do is to really partner with missionaries, but what often happens in churches is they just become money, investments, and nothing more, that the system needs changing. The system needs changing. Currently, if you're going to be a missionary, you will expect to need the support of at least 70 churches, sometimes closer to 100. So 100 different churches that you're supposed to be accountable to. That's an impossible situation, right? And each of those churches provides around an average of $1,000 a year. Okay? So it's not a huge investment when you're thinking about the, the amount that churches give to missions. You, usually, you know, a church, let's say they give $40,000 to missions. They've they got 40 missionaries. Most churches that can fund $40,000 in missions don't have the people to really know 40 different missionaries, don't have the resources to know them well. And so it has to be broken. So what if the system was not small churches have five missionaries and large churches have 50 missionaries? What if the system was small churches have five missionaries and large churches have five missionaries? That'd be crazy, right? Um, and you probably were surprised I said small churches still have five missionaries. I think it's okay if, if a church is small and they're just starting out. I think it's okay for them to say, I'm going to come alongside of a few different people and be invested in that area and get different people, you know, praying for that area. But I don't think that we need to just expand as fast as we can with more and more missionaries. I think the support level needs to change. And so I'm not saying large churches should be giving less. I think percentage-wise, large churches should give more to missionaries. But I think it'd be wonderful if missionaries only had 10 supporting churches. Yeah,
1: There's one of the things, too, about this that I don't think we think about. For those guys who have 70 churches, when they come home, all seventy churches want to see them. Oh, absolutely! They report for them, yep. and so they're worn out from their furlough because they have never got rest, and it's just insane. And some of those churches are giving twenty-five bucks a month, mm-hmm. and, and they're spending money to get there, and never—it's yep. just a, it's a oh, bad it's... system. Yeah, there is no like you, you, they probably
0: most of the support that is given by a lot of churches goes toward um, receiving the checks, um, sending the the postage, the updates, uh, traveling there during furlough. I mean half your support, if not more, is taken up and just kind of keeping you in the loop, right? And that's, I don't think it should be that way. I would love to see five or ten churches partnering together to support missionaries. I think that's a much better system. And I think if we were to talk to most churches and most people, they would agree. But the only way the system changes is when churches start doing it the way that they think it should be done, and and that that means a lot of phone calls where you say you know what we just we can't take on more missionaries because we're really trying to do a good job with missionaries we have okay but it also means that we have to step up and say hey here's a person that we're sending 300 to a quarter let's send six let's let's double that or triple that or let's let's get to the point where we're really investing in these people um the system does need to be changed um we need to prioritize, focus, and decide on what's more most important for our church to support. So as we choose these missionaries and we think, which which ones are we going to really heavily invest in? I think we need to make sure that they have, first of all, a focus on the local church. They need to have a focus on the local church. Church planning, Okay, they, sh- they shouldn't be just going over there to run a Bible study just to evangelize. Evangelism is a, is a necessary part, an essential part. But it should be, let's get these people saved and brought into some local church and I think uh, local church partnering I've seen what what some missionaries tend to do is that rather than going to places and starting a church from scratch they go to a place they find local churches that are like-minded and they do everything they can to bolster the local pastors there to train them to train future leaders I think that's a great system because they're heavily invested in local church and here's the here's the truth when we go there we have such incredible opportunities to be educated theologically, to to read just innumerable books in, in the English language. When missionaries go to these places, you don't realize how desperate and struggling they are to get that kind of education. They, they have no ability to. And so one great thing we can do is say, hey, here's a church that loves the gospel. They, they, they love what they know of Christ. Let's try and just feed them good doctrine and help this church grow and multiply leaders so that those leaders can go out and begin churches and, and have doctrinally qualified uh, leadership it's it's a sad state the, the not the heart state but the the knowledge of so many church leaders around the world they just don't know and they've been fed some of this prosperity gospel and they're confused by that. And they've been fed some other heresy that's along with what they know. And and they're just like doing their best. They're weighing it. What a great thing for a missionary to be able to go to those places and provide some good theological training for them. To help them in that ministry. But to be focused on the local church. That's another thing. Um, and then just a real focus on training local leaders so ultimately the goal is not to have white people pastoring churches all over the world the goal is to have pe- locals pastoring their people all over the world so the system needs changing we need to prioritize focus decide um, good theology and good methodology let's let's look for missionaries who line up with our theology and with our methodology um, this means we need to ask a lot of probing questions uh, Andy Johnson in the book says, a willingness to move overseas for the sake of the gospel doesn't say anything about a missionary's character, competence, or work ethic. So ask probing missionary, probing questions. Hey, what are you doing? What's going on in the ministry? And, and I think this is one of the huge problems that, that we run into when we send missionaries is because we don't have a real relationship with the people, because we don't know them very well, and because they know that they've got a 100 churches they have to support, they have to answer to, but nobody wants a deep relationship. Everybody wants just like the the statistics that we encourage missionaries to bolster their statistics one way or another, right? So they want to have this many people saved and this many people baptized and this many people at church on Sunday. And so they watered in the gospel a little bit. They, they present a gospel. It's really easy. Do you want to go to heaven? Okay, just just pray this prayer and, and then I can do another check on the wall. So when I write my missions letter... It looks better. Hey, you want to get baptized? Let's let's do this. And not no huge concern about whether you've been baptized in the past or whether you are saved at all. Just let's let's do that thing, right? Hey, let's have a big Sunday, a big meeting. Let's offer free rice to everybody, and then we'll have the whole village come out. That's great. Except like all they're doing is trying to bolster their numbers, and that's not okay. Sam, do you have a real comment? Well, yeah, I, say, I wouldn't believe that
2: that happened. But when I went to Isles, they had the twenty five thousand baptisms, and they would bus kids in from downtown Chicago literally dump them, put them back on the bus, and they would never see church
0: again. And that was their experience. That was yeah, the, that's, that's ridiculous. And you know what they get to do? They get to put signs on their wall that says how many people they've been baptized. They get to put in their bulletin. They get to send out letters to all the churches and say, hey, look at how well we did. How are you doing compared to us? Right? It's such a, a, a s- selfish, fleshly way of doing ministry. And when you go to like, places like uh, Guatemala... And you talk to Ruli and Suley, this drives them insane. Because they are trying to do good gospel ministry, right? They're trying to do the work that God's called them to do. And they feel like in order to get anyone's support, they have to compete with missionaries who are constantly bolstering their numbers. Who are constantly saying, well, we have this many saved. And so then their fear is that their supporting churches look at them and go, you only had five people saved and you had 50. Well, let's take the support there and put it here
1: right? Yeah, you know, uh, the rubles in Cambodia, they actually call those churches rice churches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, when they're giving away rice, they take pictures of everyone there, and they send that to their churches. They've seen that happen. Yeah. terrible thing. And I just think that if, if we were back, you know, 100 years ago, that people wouldn't support Taylor, right? That's in Taylor. Yep. Because there were no results for seven years, yep. right? But he opened the door to all of India. So... Um, or China, so it's funny how we think about yeah. those yep.
0: things. So, so we need to we need to make sure that we know their theology, we know how they work, we know their work ethic, we know their character, and when we know those things about somebody, then we can feel really good about supporting them and not expecting them to to produce fallacious results in the first two weeks, right? Like, we know that they're just good, godly people who want, who love the gospel and want to see the gospel go out, and so we're going to stick by them. And so the good theology and methodology, and the next um, part is just we need significant relationships with them, right? We need to focus on people that we know and that we trust. Janet? Can you tell me what methodology means? Sure. I don't have a dictionary. (laughs) No, you're good. Um, So, your method, right? And so... It, everybody has like a method of going about ministry. And so some people might have the method of, of, let's, let's have a rice church where, where our method is to, in order to get people into church, we're going to give them free rice. And that would be part of their methodology. Where, uh, another person might say, well, the, the method is the power of the gospel is enough to transform and change lives. And so we're going to try and have some Bible studies. We're going to invite local people, um, make relationships with them and then try and share Christ with them. And the growth there will be slower, but it will be real. And that's the difference in the methodology. It's just just the method that they're using. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah.
2: I just want to point out, everything you said is correct. I just want to throw in there, it really is nothing new, though, from from day one. Mm -hmm. Cults, there's always been heretics. There's always been churches doing it the wrong way. Even, yep. even at one point, I forget where it is. John was criticized. He couldn't. I think he was Dennis or Demetrius or
1: someone.
2: Yep. Hated him, and that's yep. John. And he yep. wasn't allowed into
0: doctrines. Yeah. I don't know who started. Yeah.
2: Um, but it's always been there, and, and so I just want to highlight it is happening today. Yep. But it's not new today.
0: Right. It's you're you're right, and so I think that that that's a really important point that people don't change, right? And so you've always had this problem of of heresy and of uh, churches that are being uh, or, or people not supporting missionaries like they're supposed to, like Diotrephes, or uh, yeah. Or others others that maybe are bringing false reports back. I'm sure that the, all those things, they've always happened. But one of the things that the 21st century has done is it's allowed us to have this open communication. And so now pictures are a big deal, right? You can get a picture of all these people in church and it, it sends a message. Um, and so just because we have this communication now, it's it's almost easier. Everybody knows this, right? You have Facebook, you have Instagram. You know what what you want to portray to the world. Missionaries are doing the same thing. Right? And so it's important that we know them. Because you, you don't know somebody just because you know what they're like on Facebook. And you don't know a missionary just because you know what they said, you know, this many people in their letter.
1: Yeah, I think what Eric says is really good. And I think it, it takes us back to this is the way it's always been. That's why we have the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Because all of those issues and problems, they're not new. And the New Testament addresses all of this because the early apostles were saying, this is what it should be like. And when the problems arose, they corrected those things. Yep. So that's why we can never get away from it because those aren't new things. They they've happened for two thousand years now. Yeah. But we have the answer.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Can I
1: add another layer. Oh, Sorry.
2: Um, <laughs> when when we send these missionaries, whoever it is, to a particular country, most likely you're you're going to face a particular cult or false religion, and I don't know how to say this. But the Roman Catholic Church has really done a lot of damage to doctrine and methodologies, right from you know three hundred mm-hmm. AD. So we're we're facing their system as well, mm-hmm. and it's ingrained in mm-hmm. Western culture mm-hmm. today still.
0: Yeah, I think one of the difficulties that have that are now in place because of some of we'll call it Roman Catholic missions is. Um, what Roman Catholics often did is they would try and marry Christianity with the culture that they were going into. And so they would take the festival that, that is to worship this false god or demons and they would just alter a little bit and put a Christian spin on it. And so what ends up happening is the Christianity that the world knows is the Christianity that they've seen from the Roman Catholics. And so that's, that's a difficult thing to, because you're not, you're not just going into a group of people who are hearing Christ for the first time, you're going into a group of people who think they understand what Christianity is, and that does present its own difficulties. The Missionaries have it hard. I think that's that's a point Eric's making, that it isn't easy, and we shouldn't expect them just to go there and have these massive results right away, because we don't even see that here, right? So why would we expect them to go there and, and be able to do that? They've got a lot of struggles, and so we need strategic support of missionaries. Second thing we need is respectful relationships, Here is a fact. We offer better support to missionaries that we know, love, and trust. If we know them, we love them, and we trust them, we're going to support them better. So the goal should be to develop relationships with our missionaries so so that we know, love, and trust them more. That has to be one of the goals of, of how our church is doing missions right now. Let's get to know our missionaries better and to love them more and to pray for them more and to trust them more. Um, Paul often spoke of his fellow laborers in the faith, right? As he's writing his epistles, he's often mentioning, if you read the end of most of his letters, he mentions all these people, and he mentions them in such an endearing way. He loves these people, their fellow helpers in the gospel, because he knows them, because he spent time with them, because he trusts them, because he can work so well with them because of the relationship that they have. Hey,
1: yes? <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. Ah. But the point you're making, what a blessing it is for our people in this church. We have Facebook. Mm-hmm. We have technology. You could actually know your missionaries better by writing them letters and getting. Am I going ahead? Of
0: them? You're awesome. The, the next point is know them. Oh. Write encouraging emails. Okay. So you got your yeah. We have one mind. We <laughs> do. It's scary. Um, yeah. There you go. All right. So that's a great point, though. We need to. We should know them. Um, So write encouraging emails. And I'm going to say this. Write encouraging emails, Facebook messages, however you can get in touch with them. Take advantage of those things. But don't demand long responses. Okay, don't write an email. It's like, well, what do you think about this Calvinism? Like like where you want somebody to to write you a a paper back. Write emails that are encouraging and, and interested in what's going on there, like that you want to know, but you're not demanding them to like, read a long book or or watch a couple movies or or like that like understand that they're that they hopefully are busy and that they've got a lot that's going on. And so you're trying to encourage them not usurp their time. Know them. Um, And this is when I thought about knowing them, I thought bug the pastors to give you more information. We need that. (laughs) And so if if you do feel like we're not giving you what you need and we're probably not, uh let's uh, and I've noticed pastors been printing out like multiple prayer letters lately from missionaries. I think that's great. And so we're, we've got them, ask about them, get to know what's going on. The, the great thing is with modern technology is that you can personally sign up for any of the prayer letters for any of our missionaries. So you can have letters of the missionaries delivered to your inbound, inbox just by getting in touch with them and saying we want the regular letters. You get on the list. Um, so know them. Uh, also, we need to serve them serve them in a way that is actually helpful to them. Short-term mission strips can be massively damaging if we don't get this right. They can, they can drain the missionaries and they can damage the mission if we're not doing short-term mission strips properly. Remember that it's not our work. We're not the ones that know the culture. We're not the ones that, that are there and, and understand the difficulties that they face every day. And so as we go there, we are doing our best to serve them as well as possible. We're not there as, you know, their counselors. We're not there as their masters. We're not there to, to give them all of our brilliant wisdom. We're there just to support and help. And so ask questions and meet needs when possible. Pray for them and then do whatever they need you to do or what not what you think they should need. Okay. When they ask, do it. When you see a need, try and meet it. But don't don't go and just assume that you know exactly what that mission actually needs.
1: Um, There should be accountability for the sending church Mm -hmm. and to the missionaries to the sending church. Years ago, we supported a missionary family, great people, but she wrote back to the mission board that her husband was neglecting her and the family, and uh, the mission board acted on it, and he was pulled off the mission field, Mm -hmm. and he's serving the Lord today, but not in that capacity, and it's good to know what the family's uh, thinking, the wife's thinking, you know, because... uh, they don't have a, uh, a way to, she doesn't have a way to express what's going on yep. unless she had a mission board or a sending church to. Yep. We need to be open to those.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and nobody's going to send a, a letter like that to people if they don't know and love and trust them. So that's, that's exactly right, though. That's how the, the accountability we've been talking about, that's how it happens. Um, serve them. Uh, faithfully support them through good times and bad by expecting godly ministry not glorious results right faithful godly ministry not just letters that describe how wonderful everything is all the time Uh, we're making a long-term commitment recognizing that these relationships that we're talking about the best relationships take a long time to forge right it doesn't just happen overnight and so this is not just like, I'm going to send a couple of emails and be best buddies with all of our missionaries. This is like, I'm going to long-term, for the rest of my life, invest in and love missionaries. And, and eventually, by in your life, you will have some great missionary friends. Uh, and you'll have helped in a, in a meaningful way. <laughs> so respectful relationships. Number three, advantageous assistance. I want to read page 87. And this is about Adoniram Judson. In February 18... 18- anarm Judson boarded a, a ship bound for India leaving home and hearth for the sake of the gospel before his departure he sold most of his possessions and bid a tearful goodbye to his family and friends he would not return to the United States for more than 30 years and then only for one short visit he died in India in 1850 after 37 years of missionary service mostly in Burma Judson's experience was fairly typical for missionaries of his generation two centuries later february 2012 tony also headed to india for the sake of the gospel but unlike judson he didn't sell anything other than some cupcakes at a fundraiser he didn't bid a tearful goodbye to his family and friends nor did he stay overseas for 30 years before coming home in fact as he boarded the aircraft bound for india he had already booked a return ticket for his flight home in two weeks In this regard, Tony, like Judson before him, is also typical of missionaries of his own generation. Mm -hmm. And when we think about how missions is often done and money that supported missions, here's some crazy statistics for you. In 1980, there was 25,000 short-term missions trips taken by North Americans, okay? So North Americans total 25,000 short-term missions trips. In 2012, there were 1 million short-term mission trips taken by North Americans every year. So that's where we're at. Now you think about how much money it costs to fund 1 million short-term mission trips. Somebody go on for a week or two weeks. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of investment, right? And so when he's saying this is typical of missions, we understand that a lot of the money that is that is spent on missions in our day is spent supporting short-term mission strips. So if that's the case, we got to ask the question, are short-term mission strips biblical? Are they helpful? We have to be honest about this question. Now, I'm, I'm not jumping to the conclusion, and I hope you don't think I'm going to, like, absolutely not. I'm not going there, but we need to think, okay, if they're going to be biblical and helpful, what does that look like? Um, now, what's interesting is, when we look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, you would, you could almost say that, he had a series of short-term mission trips back to back to back to back right now the difference is when he went he wasn't going into just a brand new culture there was there was some greek but he was used to that there was there was still jews where he went and so um he still knew the language and those things you could also say that his short-term mission trips were usually short simply because he was beaten and kicked out of a city and so it's probably not the same way you're going to leave any mission trip um but it it, it some seems to be true that he was kind of really interested in going somewhere for a short time and getting the gospel there and trying to get a church started there. And then he would move on and do the same thing somewhere else. And then eventually he would go back and try and establish that church and, and strengthen the church. That was kind of his pattern, going from one place to another. Now, maybe he's like the only guy that should ever be doing that, um, but he did have some kind of practice for short-term missions. And so here is the concern with short-term mission strips. This is, this is why I think they're often not helpful. The first thing is that, that they're poorly promoted. And what I mean by that is the promotion is me-centered. You should go because it'll be an awesome experience for you. You should grow because it'll, it'll you know, change you spiritually. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, but it's really me-focused, isn't it? You should go because it gives you a chance to change the world. Well, maybe, probably not though. You're going to go and give two weeks of your life and you're going to change the world. You think that, then you've got a really high view of yourself. Uh, when we are so me-focused, we go on a mission trip with kind of selfish motives rather than because we're, we're driven by love for Christ, we're driven by love for the gospel, and we're there to just support the work that's already happening there missionaries bear the burden of selfish missions trips. That's it. You have people go there and they're high maintenance and they're difficult and and it's all about them and and they want to see results right away. And and it just burns out missionaries like, hey, I've been working here for years and years and years and, and I've never expected the results that you're demanding in this week, time that you're here, right? We've never eaten this well. And so it can be a huge burden on missionaries when all of these things are being demanded. And it's just a selfish motive that prompts that. And I, I I've been on mission trips with people with this motive, right? And you know that it's not helpful. It's it's difficult even as the leader of that mission trip to try to corral those people in from ruining what's hopefully the good that's happening. Um, I could tell you stories, but I, we won't do that. But crazy stories about like what's happening on the mission trip. And so, poor promotion, and then I think personal agendas are a problem too. Uh, we go there with a trip designed to serve the needs of the missions team rather than serve the needs of the missionaries, right? What does the missions team want to accomplish? What experience do we want on this missions trip, right? What would make us feel good about about seeing done there? And if that is our focus, and that's what we're doing, and I gotta be honest, when we went on the first missions trip with uh, in Guatemala. I heard about the mission trip Michelle went on, and I was like, that would be so good for us. We would love that experience, right? That was was the thought process. And now when we go there, it's like, hey, Rudy and Silly, what do you need? Like, plug us in wherever. And if it's not doing a building thing, then that's fine. But as we talk about that, sometimes people are so obsessed with this building idea that they go down there and they just will find a random place to build a house and give it to someone. It's not even connected with the local church or with the mission that's going on there. And so it, it needs to be. But people feel good about that, right? You do feel really good about pounding nails and then seeing the structure and being like, I gave this person a house. That's great. But the mission is primarily spiritual, right? And, and it's got to be connected to what the missions tri- team is doing. Kim? I think it's
2: so important that like, we really do have to know our missionaries and they have to be able to tell us, mm-hmm. no, I don't. we don't want you to come for that week. It's going to be too hard. I mean, two is very, sort of, are very like, no, that's
0: not going to be helpful. Yep. That's good. We need to know what's helpful for them. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. No, not what's good for us, what's helpful to them long term. Here's what Andy Johnson says He says a thoughtful evaluation of short term mission strips will reveal that many are ineffective, distracting, wasteful, and in some cases, flat out counterproductive to the cause of Christ among the nations. That's honest. Sometimes they're just not helpful. And so, what makes for a good short term mission strip? Number one, keep the long view. Okay, the long term in view. Um, make sure whatever we're doing is usefully connected to a long term project, to a long term ministry. Uh, we are there to serve the ministry of the missionaries in any way possible. Can you imagine going to a short to, to a missions trip, and the most helpful thing for you to do is to watch the missionaries' children while they go run a training class for the leaders in their church? Going overseas to babysit? Really? That might be the most helpful thing you can do, right? There's, Bonnie did that. There's a lot of things that we can do that we might not realize. And if we really go with a servant's heart and, and our missionaries get that, because it's going to take a little while for them to get out of the, this is what you want. And so this, I'm going to give you your experience to This is what's really helpful. But if we can get there with them, we can be truly helpful, I think. Um, long-term in view Utilize short-term uh, mission trips to build lifelong partnerships. So the greatest thing about some of the short-term missions that I've been on is not the work that was accomplished there. It's a relationship that's built there that continues throughout the rest of the year and uh, throughout the years, and that relationship and the passion that's then spread to other people. Okay, Rudy and Sully, their one comment was, "What do you what do you need from us? What what can we give you? Don't forget about us." What does it mean? We want to keep relationship with you. That's what we need. That's what they need. And so, long term in view, we're running out of time and I can't do this this next week. So, prepare well and pray often before the trip. Okay? Prepare well. Don't make this like a one time thing that like there's a start date and an end date. Make this like a, from now, from this point until that day, I'm going to be preparing myself and preparing things so that this is a, a profitable trip. Pray often. Uh, go with the right attitude. Be, are you ready for the list? Be humble. Be prepared to sacrifice and work hard. Be flexible. Be teachable. Be encouraging. Be extravagant in your service. Be low maintenance. Be patient. And be focused on the glory of God. Okay, Can you go with that attitude? I bet you're going to be helpful. So... Uh, that's that's it for the plan. <laughs> we don't have any time for passion, but if I was going to give you passion, I would say you need to have a high view of God. You can read those verses. I think the verses are on your sheets. High view of God, Romans eleven thirty three 33 to 36. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, you need to have a love for the gospel. You need to have obedience to the great commission. And so he concluded this book and I'll conclude this series with this line. We should have urgency because sin is real and hell is bad. We should have confidence because God is so good and heaven is so glorious. So why dawdle on the way to the victory celebration? Get to it!